The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, Happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone. And I know that sometimes I seem to complain quite a bit about the weather, and I am a New Englander at heart, and I've lived here for a long time, although I did leave for 18 years. Um, I have been back for a while, and I hate to knock on the weather so much, but last year I celebrated Cinco de Mayo with dinner and drinks on the roof deck of a local hangout, and this year the weather is so terrible that I will probably celebrate by watching the first episode in season four of Homeland. And just by the way, I'm not being paid to plug this show, but it is phenomenal. And if you have never watched it, like I hadn't about two weeks ago, I highly recommend. But first, let's talk about uh, what we're here for, and that is college admissions, getting in, paying for it, all that good stuff. Uh, for those of you who have recently finally made your choice, you, you know where you're going next year. It might seem like all you need to do after you send in that deposit is to buy some extra long sheets for your dorm room bed um, and really just show up on the first day of classes. But there are actually a lot of different deadlines and forms that are going to be coming your way. And my colleague, Stacy McFeeders, is going to be here today to talk to us about all of those things that are going to require your attention after, now that you've selected your school. Um, And we're going to walk you through some things to think about. We're also going to be taking a look at PG years, which is really just a short way of saying postgraduate work, um, which is something that some students do after high school before they go to college. So we're going to talk a little bit more about what those are, why you would even want to do one, uh, and where you can find out more about them. But before we get to all of that, I'm really excited to welcome our first guest to the show, who's an uh, international student who chose to pursue her undergraduate studies here in the U.S. Um, So welcome, Devika. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Well, you know, we know that a lot of our listeners are international, and I myself work with quite a few international families every year. It's certainly something uh, that seems to be appealing to a certain group of families and students to pursue undergraduate studies here in the U.S. And so we're excited to have you on to talk about kind of your experiences doing that. Um, So I guess my first question is, where did you come from? What country were you in when you decided you wanted to come to the U.S.? So I was born and raised in India, Mumbai. Um, So that's where I've lived all my life. And that's where I decided that I wanted to come to the U.S. from. Got it. And why? Why attend college in the U.S. after growing up in India and and sort of, you know, lots of great choices in India for college (laughs) from my perspective on the outside looking in? Definitely. So I'll be honest, up to like 12th grade, which is high school here, 
by when people actually know where they're going to college, I hadn't even thought about going to college in the U.S. So for me, the way the process worked was that one day my dad just came and told me and he was like, oh, do you want to uh, go to the U.S. to study? And before that, I'd never thought about it. Ideally, definitely I would have wanted to come, but I'd never given it a thought. And the minute he said that, I was like, yes, this would be such a good opportunity. And I quickly looked up colleges, sent in applications, all of that fun process of applying, and it just happened. So for me, it wasn't a lot of prior planning. Like, I know a lot of students come take tours of colleges and things like that. For me, it just happened my senior year of high school. That's so, I mean, that's so interesting is, is that, um, are you, would you say you're adventurous by nature? Had you visited the U.S. before? <laughs> had you been here ever? I had. I had been to the U.S. And um, I think it's not only for like people in India, but I just feel for anyone who's away from India, everybody has like this perception of the U.S., uh, you know, as the great American dream and just like everything out there is amazing. So <laughs> any opportunity that you get, you really want to be there. So at that point, I was just like, yeah, definitely, you know, I will take on all the work that it is because it was hard because I was doing the international board. Um, so the finals were really difficult and trying to do all these different college applications on the side, it wasn't easy, but I was like, it, it'll be worth it at the end. And I ended up like applying to 32 colleges, I still remember. So it wow. was a lot of work. <laughs> when And when were you doing that? Were you, because um, it seems to me like if you were just thinking about that as you were taking your your boards, that maybe that was really late in the process. Do you remember when you were doing all of that work? So it was during my senior year, like okay. um, when it started. So that's when I started doing all the research. I started applying and taking the SATs and things like that. So it was super quick, though. It went by really quick. But by uh, December, which is the deadline, I had mm-hmm. applied to like all the colleges I wanted to. Got Just it. that my pre-work wasn't as much as it should have been. Got it. And I would also argue that um, 32 colleges for everyone who's listening, that's way too many colleges. 32 <laughs> is too I many. I didn't know better. I didn't know better then. But. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, it is tough when you're um, on the outside looking in. And, and so one of the reasons that we even do this show is to try and help people understand how the process works. And if mm-hmm. you have a list of schools that has balance, so you know there are going to be some options where you're definitely going to get in, um, yes. you know. Ideally, 32 isn't necessary, but if you don't have any guidance and you don't really know, I can certainly understand how you could get to that number. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so where did you end up after all 32 applications went in? So currently, I am going to be graduating from Bentley University, uh, which is a business school located in Waltham, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And um, at first, it was honestly one of my safe schools. So at that point, I was just like, I've never heard of it. And I think one of the problems, again, being international, being away from the U.S., is that you only hear about the big schools like the Ivy Leagues and, um, you know, Boston University and things like that. You don't hear mm-hmm. much about the smaller schools. So uh, when I was trying to decide a school, I was just like, you know, there are so many different schools. How do you pick one? Like, what is the criteria? How do you know which is going to be the best fit, especially when you haven't physically been to the campus? And I just made a cheat sheet. I was like, okay, I want a smaller school. I knew I wanted to study business. So that was one big, you know, focus point for me. Mm -hmm. And after, you know, like trying to narrow down, shortlist, all of that stuff, 
I ended up at Bentley and I was like, okay, I have never heard about this university before. I've never met anyone from this university before, but I'm still just going to go there. And <laughs> today I'm here, I'm going to be graduating in almost a week and I don't regret it at all. Oh, that, I mean, so first of all, you are experiencing the same terrible weather that I am because you are literally oh, yes. <laughs> about 10 minutes away from where I'm sitting today. So yes. aside from the <laughs> sometimes awful finals. weather. I'm sorry. Yeah, especially during the finals. It's the worst weather to have. <laughs> yes, and it isn't usually this bad in May. I will say that. But um, <laughs> so, so you ended up loving it. But I mean, I would say you are truly, truly adventurous because there aren't many people who would <laughs> sight, sight unseen choose a college and just show up and hope for the best. Um, True. But, but it sounds like it's been a good experience. So I guess um, what was – I don't know if you had any – you know, sort of preconceived notions about what you would find, you did mention like sort of this idea that the U.S., you know, anything to get you to the U.S. is sort of the vision that maybe you might have coming from outside of the U.S. Did it live up to your expectations from that perspective? (laughs) Well, it was different. I wouldn't know. I, I think the one biggest perception that I had before coming was I thought every place was like New York. And I think that's a misconception that everybody has, you know, and everybody thinks it's the city life, and especially for me, because um, I was born and brought up, like I said, in Mumbai, which is in India, and that city is almost like New York in a sense that is very upbeat, you know, things are open to really late, you're going to find people around, so um, I was expecting <laughs> Waltham to be like New York, and um, I remember the first day I you know, came here with, so my parents came to drop me and, uh, right from the airport, the taxi driver dropped us at the entrance of Bentley University because we told him we want to go to Bentley. And I had two big suitcases with me and this is a campus. So there were like hills. There was like all this walking and I'm dragging <laughs> two suitcases all over campus, not knowing where I have to be. So it was very different. <laughs> the first few days was like, it was, it was just a disappointment at that point. I was just like, why am sure. I here? Like, what is this place? <laughs> and things like that. Um, so that was like one, you know, just expectation I had. But again, I feel like although I had visited the U.S. in the past, just on like vacation, we still just went to, you know, the big cities. We didn't get the chance to go to like the smaller towns. So that kind of, you know, clouded the judgment. But Again, I've fallen in love with Waltham now, so it's all good. Okay, well, that's good. So I guess what um, what about Bentley itself has been kind of great for you? You said you wouldn't change a thing, so obviously you're happy with your choice. What is it about the school that you really liked? So, um, again, before I came, because I can reflect now that I'm like almost graduating, uh, before I came, I thought, okay, the university makes all the difference. Like the university you pick, whether you go to an Ivy League, whether you're studying at Howard, that's going to like make or break like your future and your career. But over the course of four years, I've realized that it's not so much the university name. It's more about um, your experiences and how much you try to step out of your comfort zone, how much you try to do at the university that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I could be at Howard, but, you know, be cooped up in my room or, like, not do much, not interact with people. I'm not going to have the same experience as studying at a smaller school, but being out there and trying different things. So 
that's something I've learned um, over the course of four years. And that's something I feel Bentley really gave me because I got to meet so many different people, not just friends, but also like staff members who after four years have honestly become family. And they have really helped me grow as a person. And, you know, they've, they've changed me completely from what I used to be four years ago. So it has been a really good experience just outside of, you know, academics you know, great academics and a great future in terms of a job, but it's just, you know, your development as a person that has grown. And, and what's interesting to me about that is I do think that sometimes if you come somewhere from another place or you feel like one of a few rather than one of many, you can kind of sit in your in your room and not really mm-hmm. interact very much. So I guess, do you have any advice for other students who will, who are planning to come to the U.S. for school as far as, you know, what to do when they, after they, you know, we can back up in a minute, but, you know, just in terms of, you know, when you land on campus, what are some things that you would say they should do and maybe some things they should uh, avoid doing? Mm-hmm. So I've been there when my freshman year, all I did was sit in my room and not go out and just Skype and FaceTime my friends and family back home. And my roommate used to just be astounded as to how I would only sit in my room and not do anything else. So mm-hmm. I've been there, done that my freshman year. <laughs> And uh, I think sophomore year was when I was like, okay, this is not happening. You know, this is not why I traveled across the world. And, uh, you know, what am I making out of the experience? So, you know, a few of the things that I wish I'd known before I started my adventure here was you always need to be able to step outside your comfort zone. Because, one, the very fact that you're traveling from across the world to come here is a big step outside the comfort zone. But... You know, it shouldn't just stop there because when you come here, there are so many things that you can be a part of, that you can learn. And there are so many people out there to help you that if you don't ask and if you don't try to make that extra initiative, you would never know. And you'd always be, you know, the person who does not know about what's going on. And that's just one thing I learned a little too late, but no regrets now because I made the most of it after. But um, it's really important that you reach out and do as much as you can because these four years are going to fly by very fast, very, very fast. So for me, it was just being able to get as much experience as possible, you know, being able to work while studying, being able to meet people from different backgrounds and different cultures because that's the main reason why you're here, right, for the for the mm-hmm. experience. Like every country has its academics. Every country has a bachelor's degree, but... The real reason why people want to come to the U.S. is for uh, being able to develop the other skills, you know, that is hard to do when you're back home. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely difficult to be away from family, you know, trying to make your bed for the first time, doing your own (laughs) laundry, cooking for yourself. All of those are milestones that I think seem difficult at that time. But when you overcome them, uh, they're great learning, you know, obstacles. And they really help you develop. And the other thing that um, I feel that everybody should be when they come here is open to experiences. Because sometimes people are so set on following a specific path that they sometimes, you know, get clouded based on what other people are doing. Just the peer pressure of wanting to follow the same thing. I feel bachelors in general in these four years here in the U.S., should be, you know, the four years where you are able to learn about yourself and discover yourself. So 
there are so many resources here that people can use to be able to do that. So, you know, make use of all of those things available for you. And it's only about asking. That's what I've learned uh, <laughs> late. But I've learned, you know, if you ask anybody, people will have an answer. They will try to help. Uh, but I feel sometimes people just feel, being, you know, asking the wrong questions. And right. there never are wrong questions. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. especially, you know, when you're on a college campus where they are welcoming all kinds of students. And I'm not even mm-hmm. sure that the, you know, the challenges you describe are necessarily unique to international students. I mean, lots of yeah. kids will arrive, right, with never having done their laundry before or, mm-hmm. you know, never having made their bed or not having to worry about, um, you know, making sure they get to the dining hall on time so that they can still get food rather than <laughs> missing, you know, the deadline yeah. or something like that. But, um, you know, I do think there are absolutely, there have to be some in, unique challenges to being international. I, I do think it's, um, I love that you chose a smaller school and a school that, like you say, is maybe not quite as well known internationally and found what we are always telling students, which is, it's what you make of the experience, not the name mm-hmm. that's on the door, right? It's about, mm-hmm. um, you know, interacting and you're going to get more out of it if you put more into it. And it doesn't really matter where you yeah. go. If you, you know, if you don't put anything in, you're not going to get that much out. So no, 100% agree. And I think that's difficult to get through to people because it's just the, the mindset that, you know, we have that, okay, if you're going to you know, big Ivy League school, it's going to be an amazing experience, but that's not always, you know, the case. Yep, absolutely. So. Absolutely. I We have only a minute left, but um, I did want to ask what the next step is for you. You graduate in a week. Where <laughs> where are you? Are you headed home? Are you staying here? What's your plan? So this is when the true struggles of being international come in when you're trying to look for a job. But, yes. Um, no. So when you're when you're an undergrad and you want to work after you graduate, you have to be on OPT, which is optical practical training. So that gives you like a year's time to work in the U.S. So uh, I'm gonna be on that for a year, and I'll be looking for a job once I graduate because I was trying to focus on schoolwork while I was in school. And if not, I've already applied for a master's program at Bentley, so I'll be coming back <laughs> to this campus in August in case I don't end up, you know, with a job that I'm looking for. So that's my plan for now. (laughs) Got it. Got it. And is the goal ever to go back to Mumbai, or is the goal to kind of try and make your life here? Um, I would like to go back at some point, but I just feel that um, because I've been here for four years and experienced the culture here and the work ethics and work culture here, that it's going to be difficult because now it's going to be a culture shock to go back to India and be able to work there. So I would want to ideally work here for a few years, get that experience, and then um, start my own enterprise, which is my eventual goal. So I could do that in India for sure. But yeah, I miss family and friends every day. Yes. Well, um, Devika, I truly appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with us. And um, congratulations on graduation and good luck with all your future plans. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Up next, we're going to be talking about what to do now that you've deposited, so don't go away. (laughs) 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Um, Okay, so at the beginning of the show, I told you we were going to be talking about what you need to do after you deposit. Uh, And really, we're going to be focusing on the probably most important thing, which is how you are paying for all of this, because that's something you need to do before you can show up on campus. Um, So I'm very excited to welcome my colleague, Stacey McFeeders, who also coincidentally used to work in college finance in the financial aid office at Emerson College and Elms College to talk us through it. Hi, Stacey. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me back. Oh, always. Love to have you as a guest. Uh, So I pitched this as I've deposited and now what? So um, I guess my first question is that that's the first check you're going to mail in, right? Is that deposit? Um, What's coming next? When does that, do you, I mean, most people I would think are not writing, well, I shouldn't say that. Some people are going to sit down and write a check for the full year all in one fell swoop. We certainly are not doing that at our house. Um, So how do you know how much to pay and when to pay and all that stuff? Great questions. So I think, you know, you really want to think about getting a little bit more organized in the next month or two because you actually have a little bit of time before you have to, to physically write a check if you're going to be doing that. Um, but ironically, the first thing I want to tell everyone right now is once you've deposited at, at a college or university, U.S. parents probably will no longer have rights and responsibilities. Uh, actually, I should say rights. You have lots of responsibilities. And what I mean by that is because of the FERPA regulations, 
your son or daughter now has sole responsibility in terms of um, being able to access their billing statements, their financial aid, their grades. So the first thing you're going to want to try to somehow take control of is getting access to that information. All colleges and universities can grant access to you as parents. Student has to give permission. But once they've given that permission, you will then have access. So I think our first step in this whole process is get access to the information that you're going to need. Um, And then in addition to that, uh, you want to start thinking about your costs. So customarily, most schools will probably have either sent you or will send you sort of an early version of uh, a billing statement. Usually it's going to be estimated costs or, um, you know, anticipated costs for what you will be paying when the bills are due. Um, probably if you haven't gotten that already, you will get that very soon. I would take a look at that because on there you're going to find that you might have some choices to make as a family. Mm-hmm. When you make those choices, you really want to think about what you want to do, what expenses you want to take on. Um, and those choices are usually relative to, obviously, course selection. With course selection, there can be labs and extra course fees and even sometimes materials fees. Then you're going to be looking at uh, making residence hall selections and meal plan selections. Be really sort of thoughtful about that part of the process. You will find that your costs can skyrocket based on whatever you may choose. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to this point, you've probably seen some sort of an estimated cost of attendance that the school has published. And those are obviously accurate, but they're usually accurate based on either average costs or the lowest cost of all the variable costs. So what I mean by that is you may find that a college will offer you a variety of meal plans, for example, for an on-campus resident. Those could go from you know, X number of meals to Y number of meals. So be, you know, thoughtful about that process. If you are, you know, have, have a, a child like I do who does not eat breakfast, does it really make sense for you to purchase 21 meals a week? If yes. they're not gonna, going to eat breakfast, maybe knock off a few meals a week. Um, so really think about that sort of aspect of things. When it comes to residence life and housing, you know, perhaps we teach our kids to live like college students while they're in college. Maybe they don't have to be in the, you know, three-bedroom suite with the living area and, and uh, I don't know, gym. Maybe they could choose a residence facility that looks like the dorm we all lived in with two beds, two dressers, two closets, and, yep. a, and a mini fridge. Um, so those are things to think about when you're starting to make some of those selections. Right. Agreed. I mean, that some of these colleges, the residences that students can live in can be like luxury high-rise apartments and come with a price tag that matches that, right? Um, Absolutely. And I totally agree with you. I mean, this is the time... You'll living in a dorm is a lot of fun, and it kind of doesn't matter where you live. And honestly, the nicer the room, the more likely you might be or your student might be to spend all their time in it. And that's not the goal. The goal is get out. So yep. if if you're living in a box with cinder blo- cinder block walls and a somewhat, you know, dinky little desk, well, great. That'll force them out of the room and into the library where maybe they'll chat with other kids or be a part of a study group. Right? Be more social. Um, exactly. Exactly. And, oh, by the way, it'll cost you less. Um, exactly. So um, I think all of that is super uh, good stuff to think about because I think exactly you can really incrementally raise that bill in ways that you're not even, you don't even realize it and suddenly you're spending way more than maybe you budgeted for. What about, um, you know, what else should you be doing now before that first bill is due? Yep, yep, Absolutely. So you're going to have an idea of what these costs are. You've made all these great selections. You've made some decisions. So you probably as a family need to sit down, you know, calculate that total, 
and determine over the next couple of weeks how exactly you want to come up with that balance. So realistically, schools will probably send billing statements, actual billing statements um, in, in late June into July. Sometimes they're due in July. Sometimes they're due in August or a little bit later, depending on when you start school. So know, between, know that between now and then you really have the, the opportunity to get your ducks in a row. So first and foremost, obviously determine what your cost might be. Secondly, make sure if there's anything you need to do to complete requirements for merit scholarships or financial aid, you take care of all of that. Um, and that might be something as simple as if a student has been awarded a student loan, they will have to complete a master promissory note and what are called entrance counseling requirements. All of that can be done online, but very often needs to be done before they start school. Um, if they have to sign an acceptance letter for their merit scholarship or their financial aid, make sure that that's all been done. What you don't want to do is get to the bill date and find that there's a hold on your account and you, know, you can't even rectify everything because you have requirements that are yet to be made. Yes, that would be yep. bad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then from there, you want to think about how, as a family, you want to finance. Have you talked at all about whether you're going to rely on some savings? Are you going to um, take advantage of perhaps some, some college savings plans that you might have? Are you going to rely on cash flow and maybe contribute to a, um, a payment plan on campus? It may be possible that the, the campus allows you to make a payment plan over 10 months so rather than writing one check in the fall and one check in the spring, or depending on if you're you know, trimester or, or annual billing, um, maybe you can spread that out over time. And then beyond that, if you have a balance remaining, certainly you, you, you have opportunities to determine if you're going to borrow that money and how you're going to finance any remaining balance. And, and I think... Um you know, ideally, families have talked about this beforehand. And also, if, you know, there are a lot of different issues that can play into this, one thing I would suggest people do is go to the archives. There are some great segments that we did last year around, um, you know, how to pull your money. In fact, Stacey, I think you and I talked about pulling money out of a 529 and when to do that and, um, you know, things that people aren't necessarily thinking about the best way to, to do these different things that are going to help you pay for college. Um, so there's some good stuff in the archives on that. Um, Absolutely. When you're thinking about financing options, um, are there, and I think here we're mostly me, we're talking about loans, um, are some loans better than others when you're, you know, when you're looking at your options? Yeah, I think one of the things that you, want to, that you really want to focus on is making sure that you are exhausting all of the things that have been made available to you first. So, for example, if, you know, obviously everybody's going to accept scholarships and grants, um, but if there are student loans that have been awarded as a part of a financial aid package and borrowing is even a consideration of any kind, you really want to take advantage of those student loans that have been packaged first. The reason for that is there are a lot of sort of borrower protections that are built into those federal loan programs. Yes, they are loans that would be sort of in the name of the student, um, but they you know, allow for repayment after they graduate. Very flexible repayment terms. They can be deferred if they, um, while they're in school or they go back to graduate school. So first you want to really make sure you're exhausting those. Um, and then, of course, you do want to try to you know, pay from existing resources first. Is there cash available? Is there savings available? Are there um, you know, opportunities to make payments available. And then finally, if there is a remaining balance that you have sort of exhausted everything else and you want to think about borrowing, you certainly can do that. When you think about borrowing, rather than sort of jumping into a loan program, think about a couple of questions. First, who do you want to borrow? Do you as parents want to be responsible for the balance or do you want the student to be responsible 
understanding that probably they will require some sort of co-signature, in which case I always beg parents to understand that if you're co-signing a loan, assume you're a borrower on that loan. Hmm. Um, once you've determined who's paying, what about the, you know, the interest rates? Do you want a fixed rate? Do you want a variable rate? Do you want to make payments while the student is in school, or do you want to defer everything? If you defer, obviously be very aware that you've got an, an issue of capitalization of interest. So, you know, interest is accruing upon interest. So those are all some of the things that you think about. When you've sort of made some of those decisions, then you can really start to look out into the sort of, you know, student loan universe. Um, do you want to borrow a parent plus loan, which is offered by the federal government? The parent is the sole borrower. Um, private loans are certainly available for families that might want to finance with the student as the primary applicant. Again, parent co-signer, assume you're the borrower. Right. Um, and then all the other things that we've talked about. So, yeah, there are a great number of resources out there, but you want to answer some of those questions first. Yeah, and I think one other thing um, that I would bring up is something that um, actually we're doing in our house, which is, you know, and I think you mentioned it, if you're going to be borrowing some funds, who is the borrower ultimately going to be, right? And so our my stepson has taken out some loans and to help pay for college and what he and his dad have an agreement um, that on a sort of a sliding scale of GPA, the percentage that his dad is going to pay off for him when he's done. So if he achieves above a certain level, he'll pay 100% of the loan. Um, from one GPA to another, he'll pay 80%. Percent and so on, and below a certain GPA, he won't pay for any of it. Um, he hasn't taken out crippling loans; they're very reasonable. And if he graduates and his dad pays none of it, he's still not going to be significantly in debt. But mm-hmm. it sort of gives him something to shoot for. And I, I always, my husband is the one who came up with it, and I thought it was, you know, really interesting a way to approach it if you can. And um, I also just think, you know, you want to think about that and talk about it and agree on it as a family, right, before you do anything. Absolutely. You know, and it's a great, I like the strategy. You know, I think when you just really hit the nail on the head for something that I think is so crucial to this process, and that is discuss all of this as a family. You know, I am a firm believer in students taking student loans. I really do feel like they uh, have to have a stake in their own education. Um, mm-hmm. When we hear about the student loan debt crisis, we're not referring to, in many cases to the student loans that students borrow under the federal loan programs. If they borrow their maximum eligibility as an undergraduate student, they're not going to borrow more than $30,000 a year. Certainly something manageable for, for a college graduate. Um, everything else, I think, needs to be discussed as a family. The same way I'm, I hope you all made the college choice decision together, you will have the, the remainder of these conversations. You know, paying for college should not, um, you know, in essence, cripple anyone. It shouldn't be the parents or the students. If, if you're in a position where you're all feeling completely overwhelmed by the financial burden, you probably should have had a lot of these conversations before now. Right. But Wait, let's assume just to- you've had them and, and, you know, now it's just decision making on the right way to do it. I think that, you know, any, any strategy you can employ where you're doing it together makes sense. And and just to clarify, because I think I might have misheard you, I think I heard you say the, if they take the maximum student loans that they can, the max they're going to borrow each year is 30000 Is that, that's nope, not what you total. said, is it? It would be total, correct. Total, right? So, you graduate yep. with $30,000 in, in debt. Yep. Yes. Their, their combined eligibility would be, would be no more than 30000 Exactly. And I think, you know, $30,000 sounds like a lot of money and it's not insignificant, but you, you know, the the debt or the um, interest is not accruing until you graduate. And it 
it is with today's prices in terms of, you know, salaries and things like that, it's a reasonable payment to make. And you don't have to take all of that. But um, agreed, we're not talking about the $120,000, you know, $250,000 that they write about in the press um, and scare the, the bejesus <laughs> out of you over, exactly. right? Exactly, exactly. exactly. Stacy, thank you so much um, for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us as always. And um, yeah, I mean, thanks for being here and talking to us about this. And I'm sure you'll be back. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right, absolutely. Uh, we're going to go to break right now. But when we return, we're going to be talking about PG years. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, So, as promised... I'm very excited to welcome my ca- my colleague, Abigail Anderson, who uh, used to do admissions at Reed and also did admissions at the Emma Willard School, uh, which is a boarding school and a place where, coincidentally, they do PG years. But Abigail's here uh, to talk to us a little bit more about PG years. Hi, Abigail. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's always nice to welcome people back. Um, so PG years more, you know, sort of formally known as postgraduate years. Um, what are these? It's basically just an extra year of high school. 
and students usually use them to better prepare themselves for college, either academically or athletically. But that's it in a nutshell. I know we're going to get into more. Yeah, absolutely. Because actually, I was talking to some people today. I was actually in a meeting today with some um, members of the company who are not who don't do what we do, and um, they were asking what the the podcast was about today. And I mentioned PG years, and they all sort of looked at me blankly. P, what is that? I said it's postgraduate, and they had no idea. So this may be um, a new one for a lot of our listeners. So I guess the first question is. Um, really, so it's a it's an extra year of high school. Why would someone do that? So there are a couple of different reasons, and I think what's probably really important for us to distinguish at the beginning is a PG year or postgraduate year is different than a gap year. Gap years have been getting a lot of press recently because Malia Obama has decided to take a gap year, and. Um, it's just a little bit of fussy terminology, but a gap year is a year off, a year not spent necessarily doing schoolwork or in an academic setting, whereas a postgraduate year or a PG year is, a, is an extra year in the high school setting. So it's usually done um, at a private school or a boarding school because they are willing to allow students to spend another year after they've, in the classroom, after they've already finished their high school diploma. So some students will take a postgraduate year because they're wanting another year of academics to boost their college applications, um, or maybe because they are looking for an extra year to be considered as a recruit for an athletic program. Mm -hmm. And then still other students will do a postgraduate year perhaps if they're not feeling really excited about where they've been admitted and they want one more year to apply again, but to be doing something really solid with that time to show colleges in their next round of applications. Right, like so maybe maybe they got off to a rockier start uh, early on and they're looking to maybe improve upon that with one extra year of high school that will show that they really the latest trend in grades is more accurate reflection of their capability. I know that's something I used to see when I was at Penn. Absolutely. It's something we definitely saw at Reed and I worked with students on when I worked at with when I was in the Emma Willard admission office. And it's generally just put tacked on um, on the transcript as on the thirteenth grade and just another year after twelfth grade. So right. it's not going to um, mean that ninth grade is gone from your transcript if that was a particularly rocky year, but it is an extra year to show that you are on track and prepared for a, for a college classroom. Got it. Got it. Okay. Before we get to, I have a few different questions about this, but one last question on this subject that I wanted to hit on is, are there any students for whom you would not recommend a PG year? So I think that the student who wouldn't benefit from a PG year is actually probably the vast majority of students out there, Beth, the students <laughs> who feel like they have really um, had, a, had a great time in high school. They're ready for the next step. They're excited about what their, their options are for college admissions. Um, a PG year is definitely a unique opportunity. 
Um, but it also has some drawbacks, and we can get into those. But they're, they're not for everybody, and you really need to be certain that you're ready to do essentially a fifth year of high school and that that's something that you're invested in because you're going to have a full year of coursework ahead of you. And it does not behoove a student to not perform well academically in their postgraduate year because that doesn't prove to the colleges that you're applying to that you're ready for their classroom. And for most students, that's the whole point of the postgraduate year. Right. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, one other thing that I would throw in there is just, um, especially as you mentioned, the kid who's kind of ready to be out of high school, a lot of these PG years are at boarding schools, and a lot of times you have fewer freedoms at boarding schools than you've enjoyed in your own home, maybe in your junior and senior year of college once you started driving. So are you ready to go from a more flexible, free environment to a less flexible one um, right at the time when most kids are ready to go to even more freedom and, and flexibility in their lives. That is such a good point, Beth. I always wanted to point out to students when I worked in a boarding school that a PG year meant to a return of telling an adult where you were going every time you left campus, who you were going with, where you were going, how you were getting there, and when you were coming back. And you didn't have your own car to do it. So if you're not used to that anymore with your parents, you got to buy into it at a boarding school. Exactly. That's a and really great point. <laughs> so, um, so I guess let's next question then. So we've talked about all the reasons why you wouldn't want to do one, but still it is a good choice for some kids. So um, how do you go about finding these? Is there a good resource students can visit or, you know, how do you even get started on that? So most boarding schools are going to be open to the idea of a postgraduate applicant. Um, you might not find it readily on their website, but boarding school admission offices are really small. You might be talking about an office of two, three, maybe four or five people. And so just picking up the phone and giving a call to any school that you're feeling particularly excited about it, and you're not finding information about a uh, postgraduate option, just give them a call. Pick up the phone and ask. There are some schools who might not advertise that they do a postgraduate year, um, but they're totally willing to consider the option for students. Um, one of the best websites for boarding schools is TAB, the Association of Boarding Schools. And they are exactly what they sound like, a list of all the boarding schools out there, and you can do research, you can do filters on that site, and I think you can even search for schools with specific PG year programs. Um, so most schools are going to be open to it, and again, a PG year is in an academic setting and most typically done at a boarding school, but i do know of a couple of private day schools that would allow a student to do a PG year as well, or sports academies, um, like um, the skiing sports academies up in New Hampshire and Maine are willing to do PG or postgraduate years as well. So I think just doing your research for a general boarding school experience that excites you and then digging in to see if they offer the postgraduate options is the best way to go about researching these types of programs. Right. And I mean, you used to do admissions at a boarding school. It helps you fill some, some beds, right? Which sometimes boarding Absolutely. schools need. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 
And the other thing we always got really excited about, and, you know, maybe cynically, it fills a bed, you've got an extra seat in the classroom, somebody else to be on your sports team. But PT students also bring something new and fun to the senior class. Postgraduate yep. students are essentially considered full-fledged members of that school's senior class, and they usually bring some, you know, fresh air, new perspective to the senior class. And so we always got really excited about postgraduate students because they usually had something to offer their current student body would benefit from. Right. That makes sense. Um, So now, do you think that students should be applying to college before they apply for a PG year? Do you think they should just skip that step entirely if they know they want to do a PG year? What's your best advice there? That's a tough question because I think it's very dependent on the student. So again, just to differentiate between a gap year and a PG year, I think during a gap year, for a student doing a gap year, it's really important to apply in your traditional senior year of high school because you might be off in some far-form location without great access to the Internet. When you're doing a PG year, part of the benefit that you might be pursuing is that you have access to a boarding school or a private school's college counseling office. And so some students want to use the PG year to take advantage of that kind of resource. Um. Other students will apply during their traditional senior year and not like what they're, where they're getting in and then decide to do a PG year. So it definitely depends on the student and their reasons for doing their PG year. Um, some students have known since 10th or 11th grade that this is something they were planning to do. And in that instance, I don't think it makes sense to apply twice. That's a lot of work and a lot of money and a lot of standardized tests to take uh, if you're just going to apply again in your PG year. Yeah, and I, you know, one thing I would add about that, too, is you really only get, I mean, there's a reason this is an age-old adage, um, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. And if you know you're going to do a PG year, you know your file is not quite as strong as it could be, which is why you're going to do a PG year, why would you apply with that weaker um, application that, by the way, will be pulled and combined with your new application so they'll still see what you did the year before? Now you kind of have to get over the fact that you didn't get in the year before um, and impress them with this new uh, sort of thing that you've added rather than just presenting the whole thing all at once in the best possible package. Absolutely. That's a really great point, too. Thanks for adding that. (laughs) Sure, sure. I always forget that we would, you're right, we would go and physically pull the, the previous file on a student who was reapplying. Um, And that might seem crazy, but we totally wanted to know why they were reapplying, and we wanted to see a significant amount of change if our decision had been waitlist or deny in the previous year. Right, exactly, Um, exactly. And, you know, you wanted to see a whole new application, too. So Mm -hmm. never mind all the work that went into it that you mentioned. Toss everything that you did, because if you're going to reapply, now you need a whole, I mean, not everything, but you need a whole new essay, for sure, at a bare minimum. Oh, definitely. And, and that's, that's usually the toughest part for everybody. I would, what, I would totally agree with that. 
Um, you know, you and I talked about this uh, a little bit before um, we came on, and and one of the things you were talking about was having a really good plan. So, what's when you when you say you know you want to have a solid plan? What do you mean by that, and and how do you recommend students go about putting that together? Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that boarding school admissions works on roughly the same timeline as uh, college admissions. So a student who is really wanting to do a PG year still has to go through an application process their senior year of high school. It's just a different type of, well, it's the same process. It's an, it's an admissions process. It's essay writing. You do have to take a standardized test. You'll have to submit letters of recommendation and essays. You and your parents might even have to interview at a boarding school or a private school for a postgraduate Spot. And so being prepared for that early on in your senior year can really help alleviate some of the stress. So starting to think about this opportunity earlier in high school um, can really help alleviate that stress. I think a more nuanced part of having a plan is knowing what your purpose is. So why are you doing a PG year? Because if you can't answer why this is important to you or what you hope the outcomes are going to be, you're probably going to really struggle with finding the right program for yourself. So for a student who really wants to be a top athletic recruit and is using a PG year to achieve that, not all boarding schools will work. There are schools with coaches who are more familiar with the recruiting process or stronger teams. And there are schools who really won't help a PG student with the athletic recruitment process. If it's a student who is really hoping for an extra year to boost their grades, to take advantage of the college counseling available at the institution, they're going to be looking at schools with strong academics, a place where they can dive in right away, and really make sure that their profile is going to improve significantly from that at their previous high school. So really both knowing that this is something you're interested in doing, I would say prior to your traditional senior year of high school, and also just having a plan or an idea of what you want the outcome to be. Got it. That makes sense. Abigail, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about all of this today. I think it's really some great information that we shared. Absolutely. I think it's such an exciting opportunity for the right type of students. And again, just reach out to boarding schools. They're going to be happy to chat with you. And they're generally really friendly people, just like college admission officers are (laughs) as well. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, one of the things we talked a little bit about today is that this is not a gap year, but gap year has been in gap years have been in the news quite a bit lately. And actually next week on the show, we are going to be talking um, some more about gap years. We have talked about those in shows in the past, but we figured why not talk about it again? Um, next week, Ian Fisher is here to host. He's going to take over hosting duties for me for the week. Um, in addition to our segment on gap years, we're also going to be talking about applying from abroad. Uh, we talked to a student today who did that and applied to way too many schools. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to go about do- doing that, how to get organized, 
Um, and again, 32 schools, way too many. Don't do it. We're also going to be answering your questions this time on college finance. So I'm going to be welcoming one of my welcoming. Ian's going to be welcoming um, one of our college finance experts uh, to answer those questions that you have. So send them in. The email address gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, that's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Don't forget, there are lots and lots of ways to interact with College Coach, lots of free ways. Um, our blog, which is redesigned, and Abigail had a hand in that. Um, it's searchable. It's truly a lovely resource. I highly recommend uh, going there and checking it out. You can find it at getintocollege.com forward slash blog. Um, we have Pinterest account. We're on LinkedIn. You could visit our website in general, getintocollege.com. Uh, also, check out our archives. You can sign up for free downloads of the show on iTunes. We would love it if you would rate the show while you're there. And then, as always, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.